It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Titans Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Rowland. Titans fans, we have another great show lined up for you guys today. First, Logan Ryan went on the record and talked about how the Tennessee Titans handled his free agency, or I guess a lack of how they handled his free agency. He had, once again, some interesting things to say about his interaction with the Titans throughout free agency. Doesn't necessarily surprise me what he had to say with everything that the Titans are doing this offseason and the trend of how they handled things, but I guess anytime a player opens up and, and talks about how a team approached things, it's always something that you want to pay attention to, always something that's going to pique my interest, especially when it's a former Titan, talking about a situation that, quite frankly, the fan base was watching play out throughout the offseason with, with hope that possibly Logan Ryan could be back. So his answer to how the Titans actually handled his free agency and his availability was very interesting. So we will break down his quotes and talk about why it does make sense that the Titans would handle him in this way. So we'll talk about that first, and then we will continue our division crossover series. We will talk with Kevin from the Locked on Ravens podcast. And the last time we talked to Kevin, it was the Titans staring down the barrel of the Baltimore Ravens in the divisional playoffs, one of the better wins in franchise history. So having Kevin back on to maybe bring that up just a little bit. Won't be a bad time. So look forward to that conversation. It is great. Do want to remind you guys that this episode of Locked on Titans is brought to you by Built Bar. Go ahead and check out BuiltBar.com. A ton of great tasting and healthy protein bars available for you. Use promo code Locked On at Built Bar for $10 off your first box. But we are going to get into Logan Ryan's comments also that conversation with Kevin Allstriker from the Locked On Ravens. Now, let's get it. Earlier in the offseason, cornerback and former Titan Logan Ryan announced publicly that he would not be returning to the Tennessee Titans, and it ended an offseason full of speculation from those around the NFL and also the Titans fan base as to whether or not the productive slot cornerback would be brought back to Tennessee, regardless of what the contract value was going to be. It seemed like it would be a logical fit to see Logan Ryan come back to Tennessee after spending most of free agency and the entire offseason looking for a new team. Obviously not getting the type of offers that he was looking for. Maybe Ryan and Tennessee could come to some sort of agreement. But as Ryan announced publicly, they were not able to do that. And recently, Logan Ryan went on a podcast and gave a little bit of insight into how that process went and gave us a little bit more of a window into what Tennessee's perspective was on the deal and how they reacted. And that podcast was the Double Coverage Podcast. The podcast comes from from fellow Rutgers alums and Devin and Jason McCourty. Of course, Jason McCourty spent some time in Tennessee throughout his career, but now both Devin and Jason McCourty as twins play for the New England Patriots. Ryan went on that podcast and had this to say, quote, 
It's just a business. Tennessee never really offered me a contract. They never really talked extension or free agency. They never really tried to bring me back. He also had this to say. I was willing to come back and work with the team on a one-year deal to earn the right for an extension or to go back to free agency next year. I just wanted my salary that I made last year. You play well in a contract year, you're going to get paid. I just wanted to keep that thing going. They weren't really interested in that. So what that tells me from that last paragraph, he does say, I just wanted my salary that I made last year. So throughout the entire thing, Logan Ryan has been steadfast. He expects to be paid no less than $10 million for the upcoming season, and that's what he got paid from the Titans last year. And as a person who was incredibly productive last year, being one of only three players since 2000 to have over four sacks, four forced fumbles, and four interceptions, from Logan Ryan's perspective, it does make sense that he would want to try to maximize his earning potential here as his athleticism starts to slip and his career starts to windle down. If you have a productive season, you're hoping to get paid, but it's obvious that the Titans are looking to go younger. The Titans are also looking to do more with press man coverage with their cornerbacks, and that's not something that fits Logan Ryan's skill set. At this moment in time, he's more of a zone corner that can keep the offense in front of him and head downhill so that he doesn't get beat deep or doesn't have to stay with these quick, agile players and man coverage. So the Titans are doing a little bit of a philosophy change. It is interesting to hear that the Titans never truly made Logan Ryan an offer, but it actually does make sense if you think about it from the perspective of they don't want to insult Logan Ryan by offering him something that they know he won't take. So if they know that he will not take their best offer, there's no reason to insult him by offering it. So it does make sense that the Titans would never go ahead and offer him an actual offer based on what he's asking for, but it was interesting to hear from Logan Ryan directly how the Titans handled the negotiations, or I guess lack thereof, for Logan Ryan's potential return to Tennessee. So Titans fans and Logan Ryan himself can close that chapter. But again, very interesting to hear directly from Logan Ryan how things were handled. Next, we are going to get into the next edition of our division crossover series. Remember, this week we are talking to the AFC North, and we have uh, a friend of the program, Kevin Ostriker, back on from the Locked On Ravens podcast. Kevin is an awesome guy, does a great job with that Locked On Ravens podcast, and he was someone who we talked to in the playoffs before the Titans faced off and took out the Baltimore Ravens, so you know that I will have to ask him about his feelings after that upset loss, but we are going to talk about how these teams got better, how they dealt with their weaknesses from last season, where they're going in the future, so a really good conversation with Kevin. Can't wait to get into that with you guys, and that'll be on the other side of a break, but before we get into that break, I do want to tell you guys about Built Bar. So, for the past few weeks, I've been talking about Built Bar, stressing to you guys that it is one of the tastiest and healthiest protein bars on the market that you are going to find. They have great flavors, eight chocolate and nut flavors, eight chocolate and nut-free flavors. I love the salted caramel chocolate. I love the peanut butter brownie is also a good one. The chocolate orange flavor is also another good one that I've enjoyed, and it's a protein bar, but 
Kind of tastes like a candy bar. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate, and it's real chocolate, and you can tell by the taste that it's it's fresh, it's good, and it's one of the more delicious, you know, chocolates that you're going to be able to eat, and it's in a health bar. It's, it's pretty crazy how healthy the bars actually are. I mean, they can help you lose weight, they can help you maintain weight, and the whole time it feels like you're eating some sort of delicious treat. They're low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. You have two different bars that I always use as an example here. You want to get ready for a workout, you want to start your day in the morning. You need a protein bar to to give you some energy. Try the peanut butter brownie. 20 grams of protein, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. If you're looking for uh, an after-dinner treat, a little bit of a snack, a dessert of some kind, but you want to keep it healthy, the mint brownie bar. 15 grams of protein, only 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams net carbs. It is an excellent decision whether you're looking for that boost before a workout or in the morning or, of course, like I mentioned, just looking to have a little bit of a healthy snack. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Once again, that is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Matt Williamson brings the scouts' perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been a complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, let's go throw a couple nuggets out on Allen. And I know he's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted. And he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws. But his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here with this Locked On Ravens and Locked On Titans crossover episode. Kevin Ostreicher from Locked On Ravens here with Tyler Rowland from Locked On Titans. And Tyler, I mentioned it a bit earlier. I'm really excited to talk to you today, but a little bit of me has been dreading this day because we all know what happened in the playoffs. The Tennessee Titans handing the Ravens their loss, ending their 14-game regular season or their 12 game excuse me regular season winning streak i mean tyler i have to start first of all by asking how you are but second of all just what went right for the titans in your eyes against this ravens team in the playoffs uh, I I am doing fantastic uh, coming off a, a great Titan season. Hopefully they're able to to build upon that. That's the general feeling around the NFL right now, though, obviously is hope. But doing pretty well. Glad to be back on talking with you again. Of course, yeah, I have been looking forward to the conversation because it was such a, uh, a great upset win for the Titans, one of their better wins in, in franchise history. But uh, I, I think that 
like most things in the playoffs and what most people know, I, I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel with my answer. It was Derrick Henry. He just got on a run that uh, I, I'm sure Ravens fans have seen this and maybe they try to hide from it. I understand those feelings, but Titans fans have really uh, reveled in it. There's a, a mic'd up segment where Matthew Judon basically says, I had him in the hole and I just bounced right off him. And he just kept going, and it was one of Derrick Henry's long runs that he broke off and almost got to the end zone. And Derrick Henry just kind of transformed into a man amongst boys in the in the manliest of men's sports and, and kind of took over. Ryan Tannehill was devastating when he was asked to be in that game. Uh, circulating around social media in the past couple of days has been the 48-yard Khalif Raymond touchdown. A lot of people forget Ryan Tannehill's uh, immense contributions in that playoff run. Derrick Henry wasn't scoring all the touchdowns. The Titans were often doing the work with the passing game first and then allowing Derrick Henry to kind of take things home and, and kind of salt things away. So uh, the Titans just played to their formula perfectly and the Ravens weren't able to counter the physicality and it seems like the Ravens have made moves to to counter exactly that in the future so I'll ask you some more about that in the next segment but yeah the Titans just played their game perfectly and and caught the Ravens off guard and it, it resulted in in them advancing unfortunately that they didn't go much further than that losing to the Kansas City Chiefs who eventually won the Super Bowl but you can't complain from the Titans perspective you can only hope to uh, continue to build I'm sure the Ravens feel the same we both didn't win the championship yeah for, for most teams it is Super Bowl or bust and you mentioned you know the Titans playing to their strength it actually got the Ravens playing not theirs with the Titans just completely dominating in the run game they got out to a lead. The Ravens were forced to drop back a lot. And the Ravens got away from the actual running aspect of their offense that made them so good. And that's not to say if you ask Lamar Jackson to pass the football, it's going to end and result in a loss because that's not the case. He, he progressed so much from year one to year two as a passer. It's part of the reason why he won MVP. But having Lamar Jackson carry the ball 20 times for 143 yards by himself, then only having the other two running backs on the roster who got a carry in Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards, they only had nine for a total of 42 yards. That's not going to cut it. it. Greg Roman, I think, just felt the pressure of getting down early, something the Ravens hadn't felt in a while. So that's something that I feel like you mentioned. The Titans played their game, and that's what resulted in that victory yep. for them. But you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, and kind of transitioning into the Titans' offseason moves, they gave him a pretty hefty contract, obviously also franchise-tagging Derrick Henry. Tyler, take me through this Tyler or take me through this Titans offseason in terms of the guys they brought back, the guys they extended, and also the guys that they added from outside teams. Yeah, absolutely. I think that they had to do what they did in this offseason, and that's focus on bringing everyone back that they can from the offense to keep continuity from what was one of the more special offenses in Titans history last year, and then also try to get younger on the defense. So uh, I agree with your answer. The Titans kind of got the Ravens out of what they want to do, but similarly, you can get the Titans out of what they want to do if you get up early on them, not because of uh, how much that they run the ball, but because the passing game is so predicated on the run game. Tannehill is great in those bootlegs and play actions, mobile, getting out 
to the edge of the pocket and finding guys, you know, in the short or intermediate area so they can get the ball and get upfield and use the run after catch ability. So that's exactly what Tannehill does. And I think from the Titans perspective, although it was a large deal and I understand from the outside that there is some hesitation with someone like Tannehill who maybe hasn't necessarily proven throughout his career he deserves that kind of money but he just fits so perfectly into the Titans scheme and it's a perfect mesh of what he does well and what the Titans want to do and I think that that makes it even with some possible regression it makes it possible for Tannehill to repeat but they added Isaiah Wilson in the draft to try to replace Jack Conklin because they want to run that same exact style that same exact beat you up outside zone scheme and you need big athletic tackles to be able to do that they added a Darrington Evans in the third round from Appalachian State to try to complement Derrick Henry on the defensive side of the ball they're expanding Jeffrey Simmons role sign a, a, a speed guy on the edge like Vic Beasley draft Christian Fulton and I think that all of those things show that they're trying to keep it together on offense they're trying to progress things on defense I'd say it's been a, a pretty solid offseason for the Titans and, and trying to keep going what they had last year yeah and you mentioned a little bit of that draft class that's what I wanted to ask you about next obviously taking Isaiah Wilson with the 29th overall pick you mentioned that loss of Jack Conklin how do you think the Titans did in this draft, Tyler? Would you give them an A or what's your grade? Um, when I did my grades for the show, and I, I still, even after you know a couple weeks of of letting things settle, I still think that that it's a solid B. You could go with a B plus. You know, my opinion. I, I obviously want the team to do well, so I think B plus is where I, I would go with. But I would understand a B. While I like the draft class, it's possible Isaiah Wilson isn't going to help the team immediately. And if your first round pick isn't going to help the team immediately, then always you're going to get a little bit of a ding from that. Now it worked out with Jeffrey Simmons last year coming back from an ACL tear. He didn't get to play the first six weeks of the season, and things worked out fine. He should be an excellent player this year but I just think if your first round pick might sit for half a year or a full season to start that that's going to ding your initial draft grade but I think Darrington Evans has the ability to compete and help the team contribute immediately Christian Fulton should be able to play snaps and and be part of the starting sub package early on as well and uh I, I think because you know that you got a Christian Fulton at such a good value, I think Darrington Evans will contribute more than people think. And if Isaiah Wilson does get out on the field and is a starter from day one, well, I think it has the potential to be a, a B plus, A minus class. But really right now, the class and how well it does, because the back end you had – Cole McDonald and Chris Jackson in the seventh round who are just project players. Lorel Murchison along the defensive line will just be asked to be a rotational player, so not too major of an impact early on for him. So I think right now the entire uh, draft class grade really relies upon how quickly Isaiah Wilson can be uh, a contributor and get out on the field as a starter. Yeah, you want your first-round picks to contribute immediately. And with Wilson, I think he does have the potential to be that guy on the right side or even, you know, if you want to swing him over to the left side as well if that's where they desire him to play. But I think that Wilson was a good draft pick for them. And again, I think Kristen Fulton was a steal where they got him. But Tyler, my final question for you before we head into this break 
is asking you about what you've observed from the Ravens in terms of their offseason. You mentioned that they made a few good moves maybe to counter the Titans and what Derrick Henry did to them. And my philosophy here has been, look, they don't want the Derrick Henry train to ever run through Baltimore again. And I think the moves they've made have, have countered that. Based off what you've seen from the Ravens offseason, how would you assess what they've done in terms of taking that next step? Well, I look at, in, in my opinion, I look at the game against the Titans and that, you know, devastating loss for the locker room. And I think that the Ravens really took that to heart. I think there were some weaknesses exposed that they didn't necessarily think would hinder them in, in such a way. They, you know, the depth in the backfield was something that we talked about in our crossover during the playoffs. But Mark Ingram's injury, I think it's fair to say, definitely hindered the offense and what they could do at that time because Gus Edwards just isn't as talented or as versatile of a player. So you get in somebody like J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State, and now you have much more depth than than people think you need. But that's what the Ravens do. They stack strength on strength. It's a it's a valuable philosophy when drafting players, and it's why the Ravens have consistently been a, a competitive bunch since they came into the league. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you saw that you know Derrick Henry obviously was able to beat them up uh, in the middle with the inside zone on the edges. They needed some more beef and some more strength in the front seven. And I think with their free agent additions, Derek Wolf trading for Calais Campbell, drafting Justin Matabike, and really attacking the inside linebacker spot with Patrick Queen and Malik Harris. I was obviously going to ask you about that so you could save, you know, your thoughts for when I ask you about that to open things up on on our other side. But from my perspective, it just seems like they're a smart team. They knew where their weaknesses were. The Titans exposed some of those weaknesses and and like the Ravens always do, they attack that weakness and try to turn it into a strength. And I think that they might've been able to do that in the middle of their defense, but that'll obviously uh, wrap up this first side of our locked on division crossover conversation. We will come back on the other side and I will be asking Kevin some questions about what he thinks about the Ravens off season so far and how that kind of projects into the regular season. We are back here with the second part of our Locked On crossover with our division series taking place this week with the AFC North. And we have Kevin from the Locked On Ravens podcast. Just talk to him a little bit about the Titans. We are going to flip that around and I'm going to ask him some questions about the Ravens. We just finished our conversation on the front end talking about the Ravens improvements in the draft on offense and defense. I obviously talked a lot about the interior of their defense and beefing that up. So if you would just start off giving us your thoughts on how they tried to shore up the front seven and then the additions that they made on offense as well and how you think that they'll be able to help the Ravens kind of take the next step coming up this season. Yeah, well, for Baltimore, as you kind of mentioned in our first segment, Tyler, I think that the Ravens weren't expecting Derrick Henry to, to do what he did to that defense, especially on the front. And, and I think they addressed this offseason. They, they attacked it going in and saying, look, we're going to beef up our defensive line. We're going to make sure that when our offense scores points, the defense can hold leads. But on top of that, if the offense is kind of struggling and is kind of at a standstill, the defense won't get down to the point where the Ravens have to, you know, abandon their run game and just, you know, 
air it out. Lamar Jackson in that playoff game dropped back over 70 times. And when a quarterback, you know, Lamar Jackson or anyone, is dropping back 70 times, that's usually not a formula for success because you can just call out the plays. Hey, look, it's a pass. It's a drag. It's a comeback. There are a a lot of different things that go into that. The Ravens trading for Clayus Campbell. They then sign Michael Brockers. That deal falls through. So they go out and they're not done. They get Derek Wolf to replace him. Michael Pierce and Brandon Williams playing on the field at the same time. While you have two stud nose tackles, that actually created some problems within the Ravens. Because Brandon Williams is actually a much better nose tackle. Brandon Williams was sliding over to defensive tackle and playing that position while Michael Pierce occupied the nose tackle position. And that, in turn, really hindered the Ravens' ability to get pressure up the middle by shooting gaps and getting you know pressure on the quarterback from the interior while also struggling getting sacks from their outside linebackers as well. So what they did, Michael Pierce walks, he goes to the Minnesota Vikings. Brandon Williams now slides back into the nose tackle position that's going to help him out a lot. I think he is a much better player at the nose tackle position. Not saying he's not a great defensive tackle, but I think he's going to have improved production. Then you can put Derek Wolf as kind of your smaller defensive tackle, then have Calais Campbell on the defensive end. But they can move all around the field. The Ravens love their versatility. Getting Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, that's going to allow for them to play more base packages. Tavon Young, the slot cornerback who missed all of 2019 with a neck injury. He is coming back as well. And his addition to the secondary, there already has Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, you know, safeties and Earl Thomas and Chuck Clark. That's going to help them a lot. You move over to the offensive side of the ball. And you mentioned the addition of J.K. Dobbins, which, you know, at first I was just kind of like, okay, well, Denzel Mims is there, a receiver. Why don't they go receiver? The Ravens, as you mentioned, they want that stacking strength on Mm -hmm. strength. Eric DaCosta has said that he wants all four of these running backs and Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill to be active in playing on game days. And that's a matter of keeping them fresh, keeping the defenses on their toes. So when you get to the fourth quarter, while the defense is panting and they're all tired out, you have a fresh running back, no matter who it is, coming into the football game. You had Devin Duvernay. You had James Prochet at the wide receiver position. Marshall Yanda's retirement, it does hurt, but the Ravens have a lot of options on the interior who can replace him. And you're not going to get the production. You're not going to replace that production. But the Ravens got Ben Powers in the draft last year. I think redshirted him and groomed him into that replacement. So I think overall the Ravens are in prime position to take that step next year. Yeah, that that's kind of my next question. You bring that up at the end. You know, uh, you look at the depth on the interior offensive line. You draft uh, Ben Bredesen. You got a DJ Fluker in there, Andre Smith in there, all who could potentially spend some time at guard if if Powers maybe isn't ready. Do you think that with the additions that they got in the draft, you know, extend this over to the wide receiver position with Prochet and Duvernay, do you think that everything outside of running back and quarterback, do you think that it's enough for the Ravens to get over that hump and win a Super Bowl? I guess maybe I'm saying that because in my opinion, I still think that the wide receiver group is a little thin and on the interior, you know, one of these guys will probably pan out that it seems like that the Ravens always have someone who's willing to pan out. So do you think that what they added in the draft is enough on the interior offensive line and at wide receiver? Or do you think that maybe they need another draft or maybe with the veteran cuts that always come later in the summer, do you think that they should still look to address those positions? 
I think it's a little bit of both. You make a good point. The receiver room and the interior offensive line room, the the whole offensive line room for that matter, they're young groups. The stat I keep coming back to is the oldest receivers on the Ravens roster right now are DeAnthony Thomas and Willie Sneed, and they're 27 years old. So the Ravens are going to be relying on young guys like Hollywood Brown, who was playing at 70%. He had two screws in his foot, couldn't run at full speed. He's going to be dangerous in year two. There's no doubt about it. But then you look under him. Is Miles Boykin going to take that next step? The Ravens are relying on him to do that, and they're, they're putting a lot on him to do that. Duvernay and Prochet, are you going to expect big production out of the rookies? Are you going to let him sit back? Well, you can't really let him sit back because there's not a lot of depth in terms of older veteran guys who can step up. You have Willie Sneed. And then on the interior offensive line, for them, I think it's just kind of the wait-and-see approach. Last preseason for the Ravens, they had an opening at that left guard position. They pretty much handed it to Jermaine Illuminor, who was a guard who came out of Texas A&M. They drafted a few years back. He did everything in his power to lose that job. You know, they handed it to him. He didn't do a good job. The Ravens had other candidates. Bradley Bozeman, who was a center at Alabama, he stepped up, worked really hard, became a pretty good guard. The Ravens traded Illuminor to the New England Patriots, and Bradley Bozeman got that job. They have a no-nonsense approach when it comes to players not performing well tim williams an edge rusher who was had pretty high, hope, high hopes coming into the 2019 season didn't play well he was cut in week three after you know being a relatively young prospect so for the ravens i think they're going to also look to veteran cuts i think you know if the trade deadline comes and they still have a pretty young receiver room they might go out and get an emmanuel standards like the san francisco 49ers did i think that could be plausible for them as well but i think with the depth that they have even if they don't make another move, which I expect that they'll make a minor one, maybe a medium-sized one, I think they have the depth, and I think they have the pieces to to still take that step, even if they're a little bit young at those two positions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a solid answer, and obviously uh, the roster is ever-evolving, and it's never a finished product. So my next question, just at some point, you got to start talking about Lamar Jackson, obviously winning the MVP last year. Hard to go anywhere further up at this moment in time, but I'm sure as a, a competitor and someone like Lamar Jackson and his work ethic, he's going to be looking to get better at, at any area he possibly can. So from your perspective, being on the ground, I guess, where does the MVP go from here? What what can Lamar Jackson do to, to get better, maybe even go to another level? What What is it that you think at this moment in time he still needs a, a little bit of improvement even coming off of a historic MVP season? Yeah, for Lamar Jackson, he's going to be focused, and he has been focused all offseason on improving his game, improving his craft. And for me, you know, a stat that people sometimes don't really understand about Lamar Jackson and something they don't know about Lamar Jackson, he was actually the highest rated pocket passer in the entire NFL last year. A guy who, you know, is pretty much lauded as, oh, he's a running back or he, he throws on the run really well. But, you know, when he's actually in the pocket and he has to do stuff from the pocket, he's not good at it. Well, that's actually the opposite. I think Lamar Jackson, if he can improve a little bit on throwing on the run, being able to have tight, accurate passes when it comes to, you know, contorting his body and throwing. He can, he can do that. He can do amazing things when he's on the run, especially throwing the football. But I think if he can just take that next step there, also, I believe just the experience. I think Lamar Jackson, he's younger than Joe Burrow at the moment. And, you know, that always, that'll always be a thing. That but is crazy. I think that, <laughs> that is yeah. crazy. With the two years of experience that he has, you know, he came into this league very, very young. 
And you ask a guy to come in, you know, lead a Joe Flacco-centric offense in 2018 that was nothing towards his skill set. He only loses one game and leads the Ravens to the AFC North title. Then the next year, after a 2-2 two and two start, leads them on 12 consecutive wins. Him playing in a playoff atmosphere, you know, that's been the knock on him at this moment. You know, he has proved the doubters wrong that he can play quarterback in the NFL. Now that next step for him is proving the doubters. Is wrong that he can win in those big playoff games. He can he can get in his head a little bit. He is very harsh to self-critique himself. He wants everything to go well for his teammates. For him, it's not about himself. He doesn't care about the MVP. He doesn't care about all these personal accolades. He wants to do everything for his team. And part of that is him just putting a lot of pressure on himself. And that sometimes can get to him, whether it be cold weather, wet weather games, you know, the game against the 49ers. It was a monsoon in Baltimore. He, he said that a little bit. I think that goes away with maturation and with Lamar Jackson, if he can just get over that hump, that, you know, a little bit of a mental aspect for him, I think that he will do wonders in 2020. Well, I, I think that makes sense. And uh, quite frankly, the the losing will give you that experience. I'm sure early on he thought there's no way I'm losing. I'm going to lead my team. I'm the MVP. And it's kind of a, a reality check when, when you actually do lose. And we will close the conversation where we began the conversation, and that is with that divisional round playoff game. So I guess my question, like you, your last question was my thoughts on the uh, Ravens offseason. We've talked a lot about the Titans. What were your thoughts uh, during that game that the Titans ended up winning? What what was your shock level that at the way that things went, and uh, how worried are you for Earl Thomas after Derrick Henry started the uh, downward ascent of his life, it seemed? Yeah, <laughs> <It's a> weird, <laughs> all jokes, all jokes, of course. Yeah, in, interesting way of putting that. You know, I, I see the reference there. But you, you look at what the Ravens had in going into this game. It, it was really, you know, Ravens were winning this, Ravens were winning that. And then you get into this game against the Titans. And, you know, all of a sudden you get into this first quarter, first drive for the Ravens and all that momentum, it, it suddenly stops because, you know, Mark Andrews can't jump high enough. The ball's intercepted. The Titans did a phenomenal job at not letting the Ravens do what they wanted to do. And a lot of teams in the 2019 season, they can't say that. And for the Ravens and their defense in particular, you know, they had a lot of big bodies up front, but obviously big bodies cannot stop Derrick Henry if they're not tackling. The Ravens had issues tackling for some portions of the 2019 season, and it seems that the game against the Titans, uh, Derrick Henry's a load to bring down just without tackling issues. But it seemed like players weren't, you know, trying to wrap up. As the game wears on, I mean, you mentioned it back when we talked in January, Derrick Henry gets stronger. And that is certainly what happened in this game. When a guy runs for almost 200 yards, you know, that, that's a pretty good indication that you could not stop him whatsoever. And, and something else to go along with that, it seemed like Marcus Peters, who sometimes gets bashed for his tackling, was actually one of the Ravens' better tacklers. I'd say him and Earl Thomas probably had the best defensive performances on that team. The Titans didn't need to pass the ball a lot. You know, it was Ryan Tannehill completing 7 to 14 passes for 88 yards in two scores. That's all they needed to win the game, and they won it pretty handily. Lamar Jackson did everything he could to will this team back to a victory. He, he did not play perfectly. There were some mistakes, but over 500 total yards of offense by himself. I mentioned dropping back over 70 times. It seemed like the only guys on offense to really show up in this game were Lamar Jackson and Marquise Brown. Willie Sneed also had six catches, but you had Mark Andrews who was injured. You had Mark Ingram who was just coming back from an injury. He couldn't perform well, and I mentioned once the Ravens got down early, something they were not familiar with 
you know, they just couldn't get back from it because it seemed like they were it was drop back after drop back after drop back. The defense also, you know, couldn't stop the Titans from scoring. You know, they put up 14 points in the third quarter. That's where I think the game was really lost. And the Ravens couldn't come back from it. Going into next season, I think they kind of have been shaping their roster, you know, to, to combat from these playoff losses. You look two years ago, the the, the Los Angeles Chargers, they performed and they put seven defensive backs on the field. You look to this year, the Titans, you know, they ground and pounded the Ravens defense. They come and the Ravens attack the offseason with, you know, what beat us? How can we get better? You know, we don't we won a lot of games with this formula, but we have to, you know, identify what beat us and get better there. So this Titans Ravens game in the divisional round. It was a shock to many among the Baltimore community. It still kind of stings to talk about because that season, it was just so magical. But I think, as you mentioned, the Ravens are going to have that taste in their mouth and they're they're going to be out looking for revenge. Yeah, it could be something to spur them on to, to greater heights. Well, I appreciate you uh, walking down. I won't call it memory lane. I'll call it a, a dark memory alley, I guess, is probably <laughs> a, a more appropriate visual. But I appreciate you walking down that one more time. One thing I will say, you know, Ravens fans can can uh, have hope because it seems like the roster is getting even better and it seems like what they got going there is sustainable and Ravens will get a, a chance at revenge in week 11 when the Titans and the Ravens do face off in Baltimore. Well, Kevin, it was a great conversation as always. All of our conversations seem to be um, a great time and a good listen. So I, I appreciate you joining me today and uh, I will talk to you again, of course, in week 11 when we actually see this face off. I can't wait. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it, Tyler. Thank you for joining me as well. And another successful conversation is in the books. I hope you guys enjoyed that crossover conversation with Kevin Allstriker. I always have a great time talking to Kevin about all things Titans and Ravens. And it does appear one way or another that that rivalry has found a way to rekindle itself. I would imagine you ask anybody from the Ravens or the Titans fan base going forward and they are going to have special feelings for each other. I, I can feel it in me and Kevin's conversation. You can feel it online. So glad to see that that rivalry has popped back up here and hopefully we get another good Titans-Ravens matchup in week 11 to keep things going. But that is going to wrap up today's edition of the Locked on Titans podcast. Now tell your smart device to play Locked on Fantasy Football. It's an excellent podcast. Perfect time to start getting ready for the upcoming fantasy season. We are going to continue our division crossover series throughout the next two episodes of the week. So make sure that you are subscribed to the Locked on Titans podcast on Apple or you are following on Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen to your podcast. You can find the Locked on Titans podcast there, obviously, if you are listening now. So make sure that you subscribe and get all of the content coming up throughout the rest of the offseason. After we get done with the division crossover series, I'm going to get into some draft profiles, some player breakdowns, going to get into some film sessions as well. So some excellent content coming up. You're going to want to make sure that you are locked into the Locked on Titans podcast to get all of that. Follow me on Twitter at Tic Tac Titans as well. Our Friday mailbag is coming up. So send those questions in now. But that is going to do it for me today. As always, I am your host, Tyler Rowland, and this was Locked on Titans.
listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite NBA team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.